I'm so happy that football season is finally upon us once again. I'll be rooting for the Minnesota Vikings this afternoon for the completely irrational and totally emotional reason that their quarterback went to my high school and I feel some kind of connection with him. I've never met him, but Nancy roots for the Giants, hapless as they are these days. You can pray for her and all the Giants fans out there. I had a Giants fan after the first service really offended by that comment, but... I do love this season because we know where it's all headed. There are 32 teams in the NFL, but on February 2nd, 2020, it will be the Super Bowl where the two best teams in the whole league will go head-to-head in a championship matchup, and we will know who the world champion is at that point. I love this. There was a similar, I think Anne used the word epic smackdown in the children's (laughs) sermon. Did you hear her say that? She was referring to something that happens in the Bible right before our reading today. Your children will be learning about the epic smackdown, so let me tell you about it. It's important to know because it happens right before our reading today. Our children have been tracking with this three-year chronological review of the Bible. We're rejoining them now starting today, and we'll track with them most of the fall. But the story that took place right before today's reading was between Elijah and all the prophets of Baal. It was really a smackdown between Yahweh, the God of the Bible, and Baal. But Elijah was God, was Yahweh's representative. The situation was that there was a drought in the land. There had been no rain for a long time, and people were hungry, and people were thirsty. And they were looking at the horizon every day, wondering, when is it going to rain? When will provision come? And some of God's people had been tempted to flirt with worshiping Baal because the priests of Baal promised that if they did the right dances and the right rituals and the right prayers, then Baal would send the rain and Baal would provide. And so some of God's people were tempted with worshiping Baal. And Elijah was God's prophet. The word Elijah, the name Elijah simply means Yahweh is God. And that was his life's mission, to remind people, not Baal, not anyone else, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is God. So they're all waiting for rain, and they're all praying for rain, and these 450 priests of Baal do all this ritual, and they build this altar, and they start asking Baal to rain fire from heaven to light the altar on fire. And Elijah walks onto the scene And he prays a very simple prayer. First, he asks some folks to dump water all over the altar. He sends them back three times, and there's all this water, so it's soaking. And Elijah doesn't do any of the dances or the prayers or the conjuring up. He simply bows down and he says something like, Yahweh, will you prove to these people that you are God? And when Elijah prays that, fire comes down from heaven and it lights the altar on fire. And Yahweh wins the contest. It's like the Super Bowl, but with far greater implications. Now we know who is truly God. And that little story concludes right before our reading today with verse 39, where the people shout out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. If you're following along in the Bible, you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word behind that is Yahweh. 
So it's like the contest is over and the crowd erupts saying, we know who our champion is. It's Yahweh. He is our God. But then interestingly, where our story picks up today is after that contest has been won, after the Super Bowl champion has been declared, now it's back to the regular season, so to speak, because the drought is still with them. It still hasn't rained, see? Thanks for the fire from heaven, God. That was awesome. We know that you are God, but we're still looking off at the horizon, and we're wondering who will provide? Who will put food on my table? Who will provide what my family needs? Will you do that too for us, Yahweh? And I share this entire story with us it might be kind of hard to relate to it at first because I don't know any Baal worshipers. Do you? I don't have people coming into my office saying, Pastor, my wife is worshiping Baal again. I don't know <laughs> how to get her to come back to church. No. But we do wonder sometimes, who is it really who puts the food on my table? And I don't think we bow down to Baal, but maybe we bow down to the God that we think of as self-reliance. I put the food on the table. There's a scene from The Simpsons. You know The Simpsons, right? The animated sitcom. This is from years and years ago where they're sitting down for dinner and you've got Homer and Marge and the children, Bart, Lisa, and Maggie. That's right. We're talking about The Simpsons in the sermon right now. And they're all gathered around for dinner and, and Homer says, let us pray. And he prays something like, Lord... I worked a 40-hour work week. I earned a paycheck. My wife went to the grocery store and chopped up this food and put it on our plate, so thanks for nothing. Amen. <laughs> it's kind of offensive, as it's supposed to be. It's the Simpsons. But there's something about that that I haven't been able to forget. Because if we're honest, sometimes we kind of think that way, don't we? We believe in God. We know He won the Super Bowl, so to speak. He is the creator of heaven and earth. But really, who is it who puts the food on our table, right? There's something in us that kind of agrees with that offensive Homer Simpson prayer. But the rest of the story that we're going to look at now reminds us how to pray, how to posture ourselves, how to trust, how to believe in the God, not just the God who wins the championship among other gods, but the God who is our daily provider, the one who provides for us in his time. So the story picks up in verse 41. If you have your Bible out, you can follow along. Ahab is the name of the king of Israel, and Elijah is the prophet sent by God to remind everybody that Yahweh is God and Yahweh is the provider. Verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. This might have sounded a little bit peculiar to Ahab and to anyone else who was listening on because as far as they can see, it's still drought time. They're still looking off to the horizon, waiting for it to rain, and suddenly Elijah says, go ahead and have a meal. I hear rain coming. Verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. That's the same scene where that fire from heaven had come and lit up the altar. 
And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. This prayer posture that Elijah shows us is in stark contrast to what the 450 priests of Baal were doing when they were asking for rain. They were dancing, they were doing ritual, they were praying, they were doing all kinds of activities and inviting others to join them. And now when it's Elijah's turn to pray for rain, he gets down in this very surrendered, humble position. It's almost the fetal position. He gets down on his knees and he puts his face between his knees. And he's praying. He's indicating that he has full trust in the God who provides. There's nothing he can do to make it rain. This is hard for us to think about, isn't it? There's nothing we can do to make it rain. If there is a God who made heaven and earth, it's his job to make it rain. So in verse 43, he says to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea, look off at the horizon where we've all been wondering if it's going to rain, look toward the sea. And the servant went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again. Seven times. I just want us to slow down right here in this phrase. This happens, so, you know, we can read the Bible, we can read it quickly, we can kind of read past a detail like this. He sends his servant back seven times. We kind of think maybe it happens real fast. But anytime we see the word seven in the Bible, we should really just kind of slow down for a minute. Seven is the number of completion or fullness. So Elijah's in this humble prayer posture. Everybody knows we need it to rain. We need God to provide. We're hungry. We're starving. We're thirsty. And he sends a servant to go look for the rain. The servant comes back and says, there's nothing. And Elijah sends him out again. And he ends up doing this seven whole times. If I'm that servant, I might have given up after three. Elijah, this is silly. There's no rain coming. I heard you say you hear the sound of rain, but are you looking out there? There's nothing. Elijah sends him back, and he sends him back, and he sends him back. Watch and wait. Watch and wait. Watch and wait. We're so bad at this as a people, aren't we? We are used to provision coming now. I could pull out my iPhone right now and order a pizza with it and have it delivered here before any of us leave the property. That's fast. We're used to provision coming fast. And here they're waiting on God for this rain to come, and it's taken a long time. I want to prove to you just how bad we are at waiting. You know the Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11? Some of you know this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I've heard this verse 10,000 times. The confirmation kids choose it often. I hear it spoken in prayers when people are going through a hard time, when people are waiting for provision, they're waiting for that job offer to come, they're waiting for their son or daughter to come home spiritually or literally. People speak this to each other. God knows the plans he has for you to prosper you and not to harm you. I see this verse written on throw pillows in your home sometimes. But how many of us have memorized the verse that goes before it? 
Anybody here know what that one says? Put it up there, Matt. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed. There's that number seven again. For Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you. Then, when is this promise going to get fulfilled? 70 years. That's a whole generation. Everybody who first heard this promise from Jeremiah died. And their children rose up and they got the fulfillment of this promise. Watch and wait. Watch and wait. God is our provider. God is the one who puts the food on our table. God is the one who gives us breath in our lungs. God is the one who gives us minds that work. God is the one who makes our hearts beat. God provides now, but sometimes his provision is something we need to be patient for. So let's look off to the horizon now with this servant on his seventh time. Verse 44. At the seventh time, the servant said, Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. It's almost comical here. The servant is reporting back to Elijah, I don't see anything, I don't see anything. Oh, wait a minute. I see a cloud way off on the horizon. How big is it? I don't know, about the size of my hand. Doesn't look like much. Sometimes God's faithfulness, God's provision doesn't look like much when we first see it. Sometimes it looks like that epic smackdown, the fire from heaven. We see miracles. We see God's power come sometimes in our lives. But other times when we're watching and when we're waiting and when we're patient, we just get a little tiny glimpse like the size of a man's hand stretching out. And we can hope in that moment. We can trust in that moment. Picture Elijah this whole time. He's still surrendered in that prayer posture. Lord, make it rain in your time. Halfway through verse 44. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. I almost see like a little twinkle in Elijah's eye there. You better get on that chariot. Rain's coming. Just like I said. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Yahweh is God. The crowds cheered when the priests of Baal were defeated in that show of power. I don't hear them cheer now, but they might have. Sometimes when God actually does bring his provision into our lives, if it's taken a long time, it's, it's, you know, frankly, it's easy to forget that it was God who provided it. We've watched and we've waited, we've watched and we've waited, we see a little glimmer of his promise, a little glimmer of his provision, and then it comes. And sometimes we kind of stop praying at that point, right? Thanks God, I've got it now. But God sent the rain in his time and God provides for us. Verse 46 And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. The use of the word hand here is interesting, isn't it? The far-off 
glimmer of God's provision and God's faithfulness comes in a cloud about the size of a man's hand, reminding us that God will provide in his time, even when it doesn't look like much. And then Elijah, for the rest of his days, had God's hand upon him. Now, I don't know where you are right now in life, if you're kind of in that post-Super Bowl moment of life where you are just experiencing God's victory and God's provision. I know some of you have that story going on right now. Or if you're in the regular season of life, if you're in the droughts of life and you're watching and you're waiting and you're hoping that God will provide. In either case, I want us just to look for a moment at the hands of God. Because when God provides for us in his time, just like in this story, sometimes it doesn't look like much. Picture with me now the hands of our Lord stretching out on the cross of his crucifixion. Sure didn't look like much that day, did it? Some of his followers would put all their hope in him. He's the one who will provide. Probably felt pretty defeated that day. They felt like the losers after a Super Bowl. But in reality, Jesus was claiming a victory over sin and death, and he would finalize that victory three days later when he walked out of the tomb. In his death and in his resurrection, with his outstretched hands that didn't look like much when he died, God was providing for us. He was providing what we would need for life in this world, abundant life in this world, but more importantly, he was providing what is necessary for eternal life. When he took all of our sins upon himself and paid the penalty for all of our sins and then left it in the grave and walked out victorious, our champion was providing for us. So I don't know if you're waiting for his provision in some tangible or material way, but if you are, know this. He has provided the most important thing any of us will ever need, and that is life abundant and life eternal. He is our God, and he is our provider. Amen.